Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello. I know. I know last week I said that this was the final podcast for Take On Board for 2023. Yet here I am again in your ears. So I don't know about you, but I listen to a lot of podcasts during the Australian summer period. There's road trips with lots of listening time, or there's walking time with lots of listening time, or just downtime on the couch with the earpods in. Usually, I have loads of podcasts to listen to. It's the equivalent of that pile of books on the bedside table that you just, well, don't always get to. Then, over summer, I get to work on my listening. So sometimes over summer, I run out of podcasts to listen to. So this year, dear Take On Board community, I don't want you to be left short of listening. So I'm rerunning some of the most popular episodes from 2023 to get you thinking, reflecting and preparing to be your best in the boardroom in 2024. So first up, we'll hear from Tammy Atkins on making the most of digital papers. The second episode in our summer series is Mariana O'Gorman on how to prepare for board meetings. Hot tip, it's way more than just reading the board papers and it starts the day after your last board meeting. And the final in our summer series is Fee Slaven to whet the appetite on the intersection of governance, technology and risk. And if you're new to take on board, well, feel free to go right back to the start. I'll link the first four episodes in the show notes. Sandra Loder on depth and breadth in the boardroom. Rachel Lowry on getting clear on your intentions in joining a board. Michelle Shepard on how to not let imposter syndrome get in your way to the boardroom. And Llewellyn Prain, which was actually the very first podcast I recorded, on courageous questions in the boardroom. I don't want you to be running out of listening options. And while I'm here, I also just can't miss the opportunity to encourage you to join us in the flagship program, Take On Board Accelerator. If you're in the boardroom and you're looking for a brains trust, a cheer squad and a governance sounding board, the Take On Board Accelerator program is for you. You'll join nine other people, women and gender diverse people, in a monthly session to grow your governance wisdom. It's all run via Zoom, so you can join from wherever you are in the world. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Mariana O'Gorman about how to prepare for board meetings. 
This is one of the topics that was suggested by the Take On Board community and I did a shout out asking for speakers. So thanks for taking the call, Mariana. Before we start that discussion, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today. For me, I am on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to elders past and present. I acknowledge their continuing connection to land, to waters and culture. I support the Uluru Statement from the Heart and indeed I recently joined a group called Directors for Yes and I encourage others to support the Uluru Statement from the Heart to support Directors for Yes if you wish to and vote yes in the upcoming referendum. Now, let me introduce Mariana. Mariana's passion is working on solutions for climate change. She's a professional board director and serves on the boards of the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, ARENA, energy company Stanwell and public policy think tank, the McKell Institute, Queensland. She serves on a committee with chief executive women and on the Elizabeth Reid Network Committee, an organisation to promote gender equality in politics. Prior to working as a company director, Mariana worked at the World Bank in Washington, in Canberra as an advisor to the Prime Minister, with Green Investment Bank, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, and represented Australia at international climate negotiations. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Mariana. Thank you very much for having me, Helia. It's good to have you back, I should say. Mariana's already been on the Take On Board podcast. She spoke at an event on climate governance, oh gosh, probably a year or so ago, I think in 2021, and she gave 10 excellent tips for the boardroom on climate governance. So I'll make sure I put a link to that in the show notes as well so you can hear Mariana's wisdom twice. Now, For that one, because it was an event, we didn't do the dig into your background. So I get the opportunity to do that now. So tell me about your upbringing. What lessons did you learn? What did you get up to? What were the leading influences on how you thought and what you did? So my mum and dad were pretty selfless people and they had a strong belief that charity starts at home. And so they kind of think, you know, if there's anyone that's homeless or sick or elderly or lonely in your extended family, that you really need to be focusing your efforts and intention there. So I spent quite a lot of my uh, weekends actually with the elderly, um, with elderly relatives and bringing meals and, and keeping them company. So they had a real strong sense of, of service and that kind of broader purpose. It's always supported me with any idea I had, no matter how crazy it was. I remember though, when I was about 18, I wanted to go work uh, doing aid in Africa. And my parents quite quickly told me no, that if I you know, had the those ambitions that I really needed to go work in remote Indigenous communities first. And you and I have spoken a fair bit about the directors for The Voice and I guess a lot of the lessons I learnt and the amazing culture and, you know, basket weaving and learning how to cook underground and learning the art of, you know, shake a leg dances and everything has made a big impression on me personally and, and throughout my career. And, and I'm also, like you, very supportive of directors for The Voice. So kind of from when I was in primary school, I did have a bit of an understanding and thought a lot about injustice, inequity and the broader community around me. And I worried a lot about it. <laughs> I also would could see that I wanted to work in climate change for the rest of my life. I didn't realize that's what it was called, but I, I would tell anyone that listened that I wanted to be a meteorologist because I had this fascination with the weather and, and weather patterns. But my favorite thing to do was Sunday afternoon roast at my auntie and uncle's. And that's where you'd have this really vibrant discussion of law and politics. And I just love listening to the tussle of ideas and was really drawn to that. So 
I could kind of, you can see from a young age that career in kind of climate change policy and politics was there from probably the age of, of eight or nine. My auntie had this sticker on the back of her car that said girls can do anything. And so I grew up in this very strong matriarchal family with my mother who was would never call herself a feminist but was a strong feminist and 10 aunties who would definitely call themselves feminists and they'd call out bad behaviour even 30 years ago and would always make sure that they were really good examples for what women could and can achieve and that women could do anything. I was always given the same opportunities and believed that I could achieve the same as men and I've worked a lot in gender equality over the last five years and I think that's probably coming back to that formative ages of you know when you were eight and nine and those strong matriarchal women all around you. Oh my goodness I love all of that yeah you can see exactly why you're involved in what you're involved in now. Did your mama have 10 sisters or is this? My dad had 16 brothers and sisters, but yeah, and a strong Irish Catholic family. Um, and my nana was an orphan. So she grew up alone and therefore, so she had, I think, 13 children naturally, and then adopted a number of orphans, one of whom actually was Indigenous and has also played a really strong role in my life because she was an orphan. Yeah, she went out and not only adopted a number of children, but also I believe over summers would then host a number of the orphans as well. So they used to have three kids to a single bed and they'd have triple beds. Oh my (laughs) goodness. I can't get my head around 16 kids. That is amazing. Your nan sounds incredible. She was. She probably was one of the reasons for the strong matriarchal family with all of the aunties. But that was on my father's side. But as I said, wouldn't have called herself a feminist, but had a very strong sense of purpose and self. Yes. Oh, good on her. Good on all of them. Although we're not talking about any of those things today. Again, folks, if you want to hear Mariana's views about climate governance, go and listen to the previous episode that's in the show notes. Because today we're talking about how to prepare for board meetings. So talk us through, talk us through for you, how do you prepare for board meetings? Yes, I think preparing for board meetings is a little bit of a science and a little bit of an art. And I've got the science a bit down pat, so I've got five tips of of things you need to do there. The art is really where it sets apart the uh, good directors from the great, and that's more of a learning journey that I'm on. But when it comes to, you know, the five practical things I think you need to do as that science part of preparing for boardroom meetings, the first one is really gathering that industry intel. So as soon as one of my board meetings finished, I had three of them finished over the last week, I begin preparing for the next board meeting. And that involves being the eyes and ears for the organisations that I sit on and trying to bring that unique perspective back to the board and the management. So I'll be talking to stakeholders, competitors, government, customers, identifying opportunities for collaboration. I'll be, you know, this week I've kind of meeting with some advocacy organisation, not-for-profits and some industry bodies. There's a key regulatory report coming out in my industry. I'll make time to read that. I have about 10 international and Australian podcasts that I listen to that keep me up to date with trends in my sector. And I usually have at least one book on the go. So that's gathering that industry intel. I think in between meetings, you also spend a fair bit of time doing things like your offsite visits or your working groups with board members or with management and listening to speeches, say, of key regulators or or government, you know, ministers that might impact the strategy of your organisation and the organisation's ability to execute it. 
The next thing I'll work on is the governance skills. So Take On Board really helps with that, listening to the Take On Board podcast. But yeah, taking time out in between board meetings to hone those governance skills. Again, reading the latest reports or guidance or speeches from the regulators that point you in the right direction. I use LinkedIn a lot to keep me up to date, particularly with international trends that you're seeing, so I can have an understanding of where the next governance issue will be for us over the next 12 months um, that I need to keep up to date with, you know, attending those webinars, conferences, and making sure there's any education opportunities that making the time for it. The next thing I've learned a little bit more from mistake is checking the minutes from that previous board meeting. I've spent a lot of time, you know, seeking an agreement, working with colleagues to prosecute an argument. And then six months later, I'll get a board paper and I'll realize, oh, they're raising that same issue again. So I'll go back to the minutes and I'll go, hang on, we've, you know, we've already dealt with this and realize that the minutes haven't recorded the discussion and the conclusions that we reached. So I have to re-prosecute things all over again. So checking those minutes and making sure that if you have secured an outcome or something that's important that it is noted in the minutes, that'll help you preparing for a board meeting in 12 months time. So really reading the board papers is probably that fourth thing. And that's, you know, only one of what I'd say 10 things in terms of preparing for the board meeting. Reading not only the board papers, but also those extra papers that, you know, those background papers that are linked there that provide further context so that you are really well prepared. And finally, then I'll I'll list the questions that I have for the management. And I consider, you know, whether or not those questions are going to enhance the board's overall understanding and knowledge to be able to make a decision, or are they things that I need to work on or understand? And if it's the latter, then I try and seek answers to those questions ahead of the board meeting so that the board meeting can go quite smoothly and efficiently and not have to dig into issues that aren't really going to benefit my fellow directors. So that's kind of the science of preparing for the board meetings. Really, the art is more that strategic thinking that needs to happen. I haven't mastered it yet, but I've worked around enough board directors who I have seen and the things I can see that they, you know, how they can hone their craft and and you can see that they have prepared mentally for the board meeting. I think is the first one is they've considered the issues that they want to raise. They've stepped back, they've narrowed it down to whether or not those issues are strategic or whether they're operational and they're not bringing operational issues into the boardroom. They have this really good ability to use silence to great effect. They understand that there is a time quota that each board member unofficially has and a personal capital quota so that they can only use that time quota and their personal capital on a few select issues and they've thought about which issues they're going to use that on. Also, I think good good chairs really work on that principle of no surprises. So if a board member does have some issues that they have communicated those to the chair ahead of the meeting so that it's not a surprise to management and so management aren't coming to the meeting with new information that board members haven't really had a chance to read through. The second thing I've seen the good directors do is is really think about the goal of the meeting. They look at the agenda and they see how that agenda aligns with the long-term goals of the company. They think carefully about how to contribute to the strategic discussion, but more importantly, how they're going to enable their colleagues to contribute 
to the discussion. They have this kind of overall vision of the company and they can articulate it with ease and they can explain how each agenda item fits within that overall vision. I'm a yoga teacher. So I think that the third thing I've seen really good directors do is, you know, at the beginning of a yoga class, you set an intention for your practice. And you can see these board members, you know, sometimes you show up at a board meeting and everything just flows and it's good and everything's fine. But when things do get heated, you can see those that have kind of come and they've set their intention and they have their they're kind of game ready. They've prepared mentally for how they're going to behave in the boardroom and they don't let, unlike sometimes I do, their emotions get the better of them. They can be direct, but they're respectful and they come back to that intention when things get heated. These are the ones that really nurture their relationships outside the boardroom with management and with other board directors. One of your previous guests, Alex, spoke about this cultivating a, a cultivating a, a culture of trust. And it's those directors that do really cultivate that culture of trust in the boardroom, which enables difficult issues to be raised and brought to the board and discussed and to solutions to come out. It's easy to think about, you know, the questions you have and the issues you have, but then how are you going to present those to management? How are you going to deliver? How are you going to communicate that feedback? You see in a board meeting, you might, or I've oftentimes, you know, started the board meeting, maybe talking to the CEO and board members about how fantastic the pack is and what a great organization is in great direction that they're heading and how proud I am of them. But each exec oftentimes only comes in and out for their items. So they've missed all that that context. And if it comes to that one prickly issue and that one exec comes in and you communicate the few things, prickly issues you have, and they haven't heard any of the other context, then that's not really good for morale. It's not representative of your thinking of the organization either. So taking that time to sit back and think about how you're going to communicate it. I've seen really good directors do it. I also managers, particularly when I've made some silly suggestions in the boardroom, talked about ideas that just are a bit whimsical and didn't really realise at the time. And rather than pulling me up at the time and, and arguing on the spot or embarrassing me or providing me with evidence that would say this is ridiculous those directors or those managers have thought no I'm going to prosecute this in a different way I'm not going to argue here I'm going to maybe let her take some time to think about it and come to that come arrive at her decision in her own time with her own evidence and just leave that for now or I'm going to get some other people outside the organisation to talk to her about why those ideas are ridiculous. (laughs) So they can kind of not only communicate their feedback really well, they can choose when to communicate their feedback really well. And the final thing I'd say when it comes to that art is just the presence. You can feel those board meetings who bring that presence, that charisma into the board meeting, that they want to be there, they're there to listen that they aren't distracted, that they're not on their phones and their emails, that they they don't want to be anywhere else but in that room with you talking about the issues and listening to the issues that you're talking about and taking a few minutes before the board meeting to prepare for that and think, you know, am I going to be here and be present for the next five hours or am I going to be somewhere else is also important emotional preparation. 
Oh my goodness. So much gold in there already. I love that, the art and the science of it. I think sometimes the art and the science cross over a little bit in the middle. So I think often people think about board meetings. You know, you read your board papers, you think of your questions. Maybe you use one of the things you said on the outside. Do I a lens over it. Is this a strategic question or is this operational? A lot of people, I think that board meetings start there, but that was number four, I think, on your list. You'd done all of this other thinking about the industry, about governance or checking the minutes. That's generally on people's list. But all of that industry and governance thinking that you do, because it was interesting to hear you start the next board meeting the day after, or probably two seconds after the last one's finished and just continuing to build. What are the things that you found most valuable in that, in that building of industry knowledge and building of governance knowledge? What are the things that you find most valuable when you come back to the boardroom at the next board meeting? How does that work in practice for you? Is there an example there? Yeah. You don't want to be coming back with management's view of what's happening in the industry because you can't then provide the strategic guidance that they're hoping for. You do need to have some, and you do need to read all of the reports that they're suggesting to and all the modelling or whatever it might be guidance that they're giving, but your ability to use your networks, to reach into networks that your management don't have and to see outside perspectives that might be hitting the organisation is really where you provide the most value as a board member. Yeah, for that testing. I do, yeah. I spend a a fair bit of time, I I guess, particularly given my government background, talking to people in government and trying to understand where a lot of the regulatory side of things is or policy side of things is going. And that's probably one of the more unique things that, yeah, I can bring to the boardroom and a sense of how that might be impacting the business in, say, five or ten years' time. And you touched on in a number of this about the building of relationships, building of trust, thinking about your communication, even sometimes in the building of the industry knowledge, you talked in there a lot about your connections and drawing on them and talking to people. What happens if somebody, if you want to catch up with somebody for a coffee or if they want to catch up with you for a coffee, tell me how that happens in practice. Yeah, so I don't really catch up for coffees. I live on the Sunshine Coast, land of the Gubby Gubby people. So we're right between, smack between the the rainforest and the ocean. So a lot of my meetings are ocean swims, they're rainforest walks, they're hikes with people like you, Helia. And I've got three little kids, so I can't work for all hours at all times. So if I'm meeting with somebody, it'll be for a run or for a walk, usually at four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) But also I think that's a really valuable way to talk with people because most of the time you're not facing them. You're avoiding eye contact and people then aren't reading into the cues that you're giving them with your body language. They're less prone to think that you're being judgmental and they're more open. They're out in nature, sort of more adrenaline going. So again, they're more open and you start to get into deeper issues about what's driving them, what they're thinking about than you potentially would if it's just 15 minutes over a cup of coffee and actually, yeah, really get to know if it's other directors or if it's other people in the industry. Sometimes sometimes people say no to that, but most of the time people people are up for it. Yep. As one of the people who's done that, Mariana and I hiked Mount Pomona 
And a fellow had hiked it in 15 minutes that morning and it took it had taken us two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> but even that, like it's it takes, you know, we drove there together. You did pick me up early. I think when you told me 4 a.m., I was like, oh, God, really? All right. But anyway, wasn't I think it was a wee bit later than that. But you drive there, you go for the hike together. You don't just talk about, we didn't talk governance. We just talked life. And that builds trust and builds relationships as well, which is what you'd also referred to as part of the art. Yeah. And particularly being climate change, being out in the climate and being out in nature is very much part of what drives me, what inspires me. And, you know, if I'm talking to people, maybe (laughs) the oil and gas or coal sectors, sharing that passion and showing them that passion, showing them what a little baby shark looks like for the first time, I hope can kind of enlighten that same spark that exists within me about protection of the environment. So people have said, oh, I'd like to have a coffee with you. And you say, no, let's go for a swim. And people are up for that. That is awesome. (laughs) I love that. Love it. I don't quite know how you do that virtually. You can do walks together virtually. You can just be on the phone. Yeah, I've got friends over in the US who will arrange, you know, at 4.30, let's go for a run together and we chat work. So no, I definitely do that. You know, friends that I do online yoga with, although doing yoga and I've done a few yoga meetings. People are a lot more open after the yoga session, but oftentimes the yoga is more about the silence. So you kind of have a bit more of a discussion after the yoga rather than during. Although even that's interesting because you reflected on using the silence and being comfortable in silence. Sometimes board meetings are go, 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 whereas sitting in the silence is a real art, I think. It makes lots of people uncomfortable. So maybe yoga, sitting in that silence in yoga helps to build the muscle of sitting in productive silence in meetings as well. Mariana, so many wonderful tips in here on the art and science of preparing for board meetings. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I think it's mainly about the emotional preparation for a board meeting. As I've said, not something that I can practice yet, but it is the thing that does set apart those great directors from the good directors. So I I do try to learn from them and that that emotional preparation is as important as just doing the preparation of of reading through the board papers. You know, you've prompted for me as well. I did a wellbeing in the boardroom program with a small group of people and we talked about starting board meetings differently. And is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? directly related to what we've been talking about, but I guess in terms of preparing for board meetings and my strong focus on the climate change, many boards will soon have legislated climate change disclosure obligations. So when it comes to board preparation, I think reading the Treasury consultation paper that's out on that at the moment will be a good thing to make sure your board is prepared. If you are a smaller organisation or your organisation doesn't fit within those Treasury guidelines, you still have a duty of care when it comes to climate change duties and disclosure under the Corporations Act. And I've got another resource, which is the Seminal Legal Opinion, that spells out what that duty is and how to discharge it. I'll leave those two with you in the show notes. Oh, that is fantastic. See, there's the combining the climate governance and preparing for boards. It's part of the industry kind of, well, it's actually both. It's industry knowledge and governance knowledge that you need, which is all key to preparing for board meetings. 
Oh, thank you so much. Like I said, so much gold in here. Thank you so much for returning to the Take On Board podcast to share your wisdom about this. I think it's given me a lot of tips to think about and I'm sure it will be for others as well. So thanks for joining us here today. Thanks very much for having me, Helia. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women and gender diverse people together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd also really love it if you could do some of the other, well, podcast things. Share the podcast with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.